0: As people take their seats, I need to tell you uh, an important story about hope and disappointment. It was over 20 years ago, uh, for Christmas, I received tickets to a professional wrestling match in Washington, D.C. Now this was to the delight of my childhood heart that I got these tickets, because wrestling, not wrestling where I'm from in the southeast, it's called wrestling, is real. It is real just as the sun shines, wrestling is real. And so my uncle and I took a train from North Carolina up to Washington, D.C. to this wrestling event, and we got there four hours early. We ate Chinese food, real Chinese food. Maybe the first I'd ever had in my life. What a wonderful day it was. We got there four hours early, and what do you do when you arrive to an event four hours early? You walk around, and so we walked around, and we found ourselves in a parking garage, and we found a back set of stairs, and we went up the staircase, and we found double doors with a little bitty crack in between them, and we peered through the double doors, and I saw all of the villains and all of my heroes that were too participate in that professional wrestling match that night. Can you imagine how my mind was blown as a child? But there was also a disappointment because I realized that there were people hanging out in this hallway who were supposed to hate each other. The good guy and the bad guy, the story that the professional wrestling world is telling you, this soap opera, if you will wasn't real. I had this great hope to go and to see my favorite wrestler, Sting, win the championship against the dreaded Hulk Hogan. And they were sitting there talking like colleagues around a water cooler. I stopped watching wrestling after that, maybe for my sanctification. and (laughs) The object of my hope was lacking. It was lacking in substance. It was lacking in truth. It was lacking in something that could actually give life to me. And so disappointment ensued. The scripture that we read today is not professional wrestling. It does not lack truth. It does not lack power. Instead, it points us to the worthiness of our good God. And as we begin this Advent season, as we consider the the coming of Christ as a child and the coming again of Christ from on high, this is the worthy lamb that we consider. Revelation chapter 5, we'll read all, uh, all 14 verses you can follow along in your copy of the scriptures or in your worship guide. As though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and seven bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that John has given us this account of, of pulling back the curtain and seeing the spiritual realities of Advent. Lord, that you have come and that you will come again. And Father, we pray that we might experience you through this season. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen. I love how the, the front of your worship, God, puts it that this Advent season is not simply an anticipation of a baby coming. Don't get me wrong, I love babies. I love seeing baptisms. I smile from ear to ear, but, but Advent's more than that. Advent is past, it's present, and it's future. Advent is an opportunity to war. Now, that doesn't sound very holiday-ish, does it? But it is. We gathered around the Thanksgiving table this past week in community, in family, and we warred against the reality of this broken world. We got a glimpse of what heaven will be like as we feasted together. And so Advent welcomes us into this war. This war against our past, sin and failure, brokenness and hurt. This war that seeks a freedom in the surety of the object of our hope, which is Christ. In Advent, we experience Jesus. We experience his coming. Think about that for a second. Have you ever gone to pick up someone from the airport? This past week, uh, we had a student whose uh, friend was coming into town. His girlfriend was coming into town. He hadn't seen her since the beginning of the semester, and she was coming into town to visit him over Thanksgiving, and he doesn't have a car, and so what do you do when you don't have a car? You ask your campus minister over Thanksgiving to go take you to the airport. And so I said, what time do you want me there? And he said, meet me in front of my dorm at 9.45 p.m. And I said, yes, sir. And I go and I meet him there. And we get to the airport. And we get in the cell phone waiting line. And we waited for an hour. What is it with me and getting to places early? We waited for an hour because he was so excited about the coming of his girlfriend. He wanted to see her so bad. He didn't want to miss even a second Maybe for some of you, when you think about the coming of something important, you think about the Amazon package. My Amazon app tells me almost daily at this point, your package is nonstops stops away. And there's a bit of excitement that rises in my heart because I still like opening packages as a 37-year-old man. It's really fun. Maybe it's the kids by the window waiting for the grandparents to come. There's an excitement in the waiting and the expectation of what is to come in advent we experience this hope this sure hope of waiting this hope of Christ we see this in in the first five verses the, the hope of Christ the hope of Christ is proclaimed here but it's interesting the first proclamation that we come across in these first five verses is actually a darkness that's proclaimed. We see a scroll. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. You see, this wasn't normal. A scroll would have just been written on one side, but this scroll has writing all over it. It's, it's, It's strange. It It wants to draw our eyes and our attention to this scroll, to the importance of it. That there's no one there to to break these seals and there's a darkness that comes with that. One scholar says that that this scroll is not filled with people's names, but rather it's filled with God's very redemptive plan. He says it represents redemptive history and God's purposes for the entire creation Especially for human beings, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to break its seals? Is what verse two says, and then three, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. John slows us down. He. He brings us into the throne room of heaven to experience this darkness. We're peeking behind the curtain of heaven and in chapter 4, John has heard trumpets. He's seen a throne. He stood there astonished at the sight of of 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns. He's seen these four creatures. There's this picture of, of heaven Of these spiritual realities, John has seen it, and he's written about it, and now he's hearing a silence. A deafening silence. He realizes that nothing in creation can reveal God's redemptive plan. That nothing can set into motion what Paul says is the great mystery of the saving power of God for his people nothing in this silence is a proclamation of darkness and i think it's important for us to understand that as as we seek to experience the hope of christ this advent season because when we accurately understand the darkness then the hope of christ becomes so much more beautiful this hits john like a ton of bricks and so not only is darkness proclaimed, but sorrow is proclaimed. In verse 4, John says, And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look, in, look into it. He, he weeps, because the silence says so much to us. Have you ever wept in the silence? God's people did. I think of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Where he cries out to God, You see all this awful stuff happening around me, yet you will not save. God, what is going on? In the presence of the silence, we weep, we mourn. We have different ways of weeping, don't we? Maybe for some of us, we we weep. The tears come out and we weep from our guts. From our heart of hearts, we we weep and we know the exhaustion of that as we have lost friends or family or people dear to us. We have lost opportunity or money or whatever it may be that we value in this life. Maybe for others of us, we weep differently. We lash out in anger and frustration. The way that we treat others, sorrow is proclaimed. Have you ever wept. The silence means that hopelessness wins and that brokenness, the brokenness that John has felt as a sinner on this earth will overcome and be too much. In some ways, the story goes so quickly, but in others, as we sit in this silence, we experience the hopelessness that John feels. Enough for him to weep. No one was found worthy This is in a legal sense that no one was found worthy. It's not that there was this line of people who were going up trying to break the seals and uncover God's redemptive plan. It was that there was no line. That legally not one person in all of creation could open up the seals. John has seen all the power of heaven. And you know what else he realizes? He realizes that his own effort also can't open them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being confronted with the reality that you cannot do anything to save yourself? Friends, that's every morning when we get up. We're confronted with this reality and so we weep. We mourn. We confess, we acknowledge that we are a people in need, that I am not God and that you are. We have an inner sorrow. I don't know if you've ever experienced a, a child breaking a toy and bringing it to you. And you looking at the toy and this child has all the confidence in the world that, that you can fix that toy. But it's been broken so badly that you know you can't. There's a sorrow in the wailing of that child as they realize that their toy is now going to go in the trash can. That toy is no longer something that they can enjoy. So are our lives apart from Christ. There's a corporate sorrow that, that's experienced here. That it's not just John, but it's all of creation sits in the silence In part, we experience that in various seasons of mourning, don't we? People that we love leave, and so we mourn. There's injustice in the world, and and, and so we mourn. Sorrow is proclaimed so loudly in the silence, but hope is also proclaimed. Look in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, at last, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, up to this point in Revelation, there's been a bit of a buildup around this word conquered. As we go back and we look at the addresses to the churches, over and over again, the churches are called, told to overcome or to conquer. After chapter 5, we see in Revelation over and over again this idea of conquering, that we are to be conquerors. God's people have been told to conquer, to overcome. But here in verse 5, they understand finally how they are to do that. Not of their own work, but because of the one who is worthy Worthy to open up the redemptive plan of God. There's a deep rooting in all of redemptive history here. I wish we had time to unpack it. The Messiah comes from the line of David. Words almost directly from Isaiah. It's the tribe of Judah where the king will rule from. He has conquered. In Advent, we experience the hope of Christ. Because our God has conquered. Conquered. He has broken the silence. He is worthy. In Advent we we experience the work of Christ. We see this in verses six through ten. Verse six and between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lion roaring. No. It's changed. Not a lion, but I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. I wonder if, if in John's humanity he was disappointed. I wonder if, if, if his emotions might have taken over for a moment. After hearing about the lion of Judah to see a lamb that's standing as though it's been slain, all bloodied. I wonder if there was a war inside of him understanding that the lamb is such a a loaded and wonderful picture of our good God yet also a weak vessel. I wonder if if there was doubt in John, we don't know. But if it but if it had been Jay, I think there would have been doubt. I think I would have seen it and been a little bit disappointed. But what I've learned and what I'm learning is that in Advent we experience the work of Christ, that the lion is the lamb, that this lamb is standing. This lamb is not lying prostrate dead. But this lamb, though slain, though Jesus died on the cross, he got up. He's not lying dead. Instead, he has complete life. It goes on to... To describe the seven horns and the seven eyes, he has complete life, complete power, and complete wisdom. This is the Lamb of God who was slain, who is worthy. This is the work that he has done. So the Lamb takes the scroll in verses 6 through 8. And when the Lamb goes and takes the scroll, everyone just flips out. They are not Presbyterians. He takes the scroll. Look at it with me. And, went, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Doesn't say he opened it. He just took it from him. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. They go absolutely nuts. Because they know that he's the one who is worthy. The fact that he showed up and was able to take the scroll shows that he's worthy. Have you ever watched the Super Bowl or at least the commercials? And then after all of that, we get to the, the, the trophy ceremony where the MVP takes the trophy. And as soon as he receives the trophy and holds it up, everybody goes ballistic. Because he's earned it. Because they love him. Jesus takes the scroll Without even opening it, it, he shows up, he takes the scroll. And all of heaven, all of creation goes ballistic because they, they know that he is worthy. We simultaneously celebrate both the first and the second coming of Christ in Advent, his work. Not because Jesus was able to successfully make it through life without sinning, and so now he's worthy. Jesus was sinless, but Jesus was worthy when he showed up as a baby. No, we celebrate his coming, his advent, because when he took on flesh, he had already won. He was already worthy. The work that he would do was sure. While he had to do it, there was confidence. There was never any question as to whether or not he would do the work that God the Father had given him to do, And so in verses 9 and 10, we hear a song of the experience of those who understand the work of Christ. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They're singing to the him, your dying on the cross ransomed your people. Your people will come from every tribe and language and nation. Your people are called to follow you both now and forever because of the work that you have done, you are worthy, Lord Christ. In Advent, we experience the hope of Christ, the work of Christ. And finally, in Advent, we experience the redemption found in Christ. In these last few verses, there's, there's almost this, this redemption that happens point for point from the darkness that we once experienced. We see a redemption of those who were not worthy. Do you remember the silence? Where, where no one was worthy in heaven or on earth. But in verse 11, those people who weren't worthy are the same ones who now give praise to our God. No one was worthy to open the scrolls, but but now they ascribe worth and glory to the one who is. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, They worshipped even though they weren't worthy. There's a redemption that we might worship, that we might go from one place to another. Some of you know our intern with RUF at Boise State, Caleb. You probably miss his voice sometimes, as he used to sing. Caleb makes cranberry sauce from scratch. I open up a can of cranberry sauce, and I do it the right way. And I told him that last week when he brought this homemade cranberry sauce to my house for Thanksgiving. I could not believe that he did that. The day after Thanksgiving, I sent him a text message. And I said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Your cranberry sauce was better than mine. And now I don't know if I can ever crack open another can of cranberry sauce. Will you come for Thanksgiving every year? And he just sent a little smiley face because he knew that a change had happened in me. How much greater, as we experience redemption in Christ, do we sing a new song? How much greater do we go from dismissal to worship? Is there not a more clear picture, more beautiful picture of our calling as saints on earth? That we are redeemed into a calling to work and worship on this earth. That we wait in expectation for our final redemption. That this is the sure hope that is spoken of all over Scripture. That this is the hope that does not put us to shame. That though we are not worthy to open the scroll, we have been invited by the one who is to worship. To proclaim worth to Him. We also see a redemption of this silence. We see it in verse 12 where the song that they sing is, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus cried out on the cross and he breathed his last and three days he lay in the tomb and rose again and now he stands in the place of power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and in blessing, his silence is now honored in the shout of his people to his worthiness. In Advent, in the waiting, in the anticipation of the coming, we see the redemption of the silence. We also see a redemption of the calling that we have on our life to praise the Lord. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Because he has won, we have won. We are saints. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, the king, and to the lamb, Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And what do the elders do? The leaders. They fell down and they worshipped him. You see, in Advent, we experience Jesus. Past, present, and future, his coming. As Christians, we do not hope that God is working. We celebrate a sure hope in the redemption that he brings. The Advent of the Lamb is our hope this season. And so let us rejoice. The Advent of the Lamb is our hope for all of life. And so let us worship this season. Let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that during this Advent season, Lord, we can experience the whole Christ. Father, we thank you that you have come and that you will come. And Father, I pray that you give us a sense of wonder and anticipation and hope as we take communion together. As we get up and as we commune with this world the rest of this week. Father, we pray that this word might... Planted deep into our hearts and that you might grow it. Sir we pray. Amen.